Thanks for joining me today. This is episode five of our podcast where we're focused on what it means to live as grace-filled people in a time when the culture is becoming more and more hostile to the faith. My name's Dave Roberts. I'm pastor of Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas. You know, before I get into what I want to talk about today, I, I just want to say this. When I look at the life of Christ and uh, see the crowds that gathered to hear him speak, when I, when I see the people whose lives he changed, I keep having this question. Why would people today be so opposed to such love, such kindness, such grace? It, it just doesn't make sense to me that people would reject a Jesus who, who only wants to give them new life, a new beginning, and the privilege of becoming part of a loving family? Yeah, you probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, is today's church the living, breathing body of the living Christ we read about in Scripture? Or is it something else? This gets at the heart of this podcast we call Living Grace in Today's World. The intent is to expose grace for what it is, help us learn what it is, and how it can be so influential in bringing new life in Christ to people, just as he was when he walked our streets. It really is just letting Jesus be Jesus in and through our lives. What I want to share with you today are some thoughts from my Sunday message a few weeks ago. I don't often do this, but uh, there was something God put on my heart, and I, I want to use any means possible to communicate this. Uh, I hesitate a little in doing this because I know many of you who are listening to this podcast, well, you actually go to Grace Bible Church here in Georgetown, Texas. Ah, but maybe a little reinforcement uh, could be meaningful for all of us. If you didn't hear the message, you can always get it by visiting our church website at gbcgt.org. I was preaching from the first 10 verses of Titus 2, which is all about Christian conduct. He addresses older men, older women, younger women, younger men. He even addresses servants or slaves. And it's all about conduct. It's all about their behavior. And whenever I read passages that detail Christian behavior like this, I always think of Steve McVeigh's book, The Grace Walk Experience. In that book, he makes this comment. Improving your behavior will not give you victory in the Christian life. Oh, that's such a true statement. Many people see a lack of victory in their Christian walk, and they decide the way to be more fulfilled and closer to God is to try and act better. If I could just get rid of this sin, if I could just do more righteous things, I'm going to be closer to Him. They develop what I call sin reduction strategies. They're daily accountability techniques, their to-do list of spiritual activities for each day. Their heart is good. They sincerely want to please God. They want to live for Him. And they think that improving their behavior will get them to this abundant life Jesus promises in John 10.10. As they implement their plan, instead of finding a place of fulfillment, what do they find? They, they, they find that they live under this constant weight of guilt because, well, they're just never good enough. Every sin, every temptation is just magnified, and it leaves a sense of futility and defeat it's the exact opposite of what they're seeking, this abundant life, this closeness with God. And they end up confused, wondering if this is as good as it gets. And the Bible has a word for seeking righteousness through behavior, and it's called the law. 
And the purpose of the law was to expose our inability at being righteous. Yet how many of us have tried to live the Christian life with our focus being our behavior and daily activities? That's law-based living. It's not the new covenant of grace. Sometimes people will ask me, but isn't our behavior supposed to be obedient to how the Bible says we're supposed to live? I would say absolutely. We can't just throw out all the scriptural passages that detail what Christian conduct is to be. So it's, it's not obedience that I take issue with, but how does one become obedient? Many, if not most, Christians live as though they have been given the duty of trying hard to obey the Bible. They earnestly seek to purge sinful activity, sincerely seek to increase godly activity, only to feel as though they have been defeated in their quest for abundant living. Okay, what if? What if God never intended for you and I to strive hard to live the Christian life? What if I just knew up front how futile my efforts would be and in his divine sovereignty, he chose to just give us his life, his power, his ability to live the life we read about in Scripture. Did you know that Jesus made it crystal clear for us that this was God's way? It, it, it's, it's summed up in John 15, 5. I use this verse often. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him, well, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus uses an agricultural analogy to help us understand this, uh, this awesome truth of abiding. And there's so many conclusions we can draw from this simple illustration. Just a couple here. Uh, branches cease to exist without a flow of sap or life from the vine. You can't keep on living as a branch if the vine is not giving you what you need. In fact, the branch is just a mere conduit through which the vine produces fruit. The branch doesn't produce it. It's the, it's the life of the vine that flows into the branch, extends through the branch, and the fruit is born at the end of the branch. Also, if the branch is receiving this life from the vine, well, fruit is inevitable. Think about that for a minute. If the branch is receiving this life from the vine, fruit is inevitable. It's not iffy as to whether there will be fruit. It is the natural and only consequence of sap flowing through the branch. And it's a perfect analogy for life in Christ. And, and it's so definitive. Jesus said that he who abides, which means to stay or remain, don't leave, <laughs> he who stays in him will bear much fruit. There's no ambiguity. He also says definitively that he who is not abiding bears no fruit, <laughs> ever, not a zilcho. Well, why is this so important? Well, because the church can only influence culture towards Christ by making him the primary pursuit of life. It's an odd way of thinking about it, but it's so true. If you want to reach people, don't make reaching people your pursuit. 
I'm going to say it again. If you want to reach people, don't make reaching people your pursuit. But pursue Jesus. Our, our role is not to come up with good ideas we think will work, but pursue Jesus. The church is to be the living embodiment of the risen Christ. That's it. And I would contend that when the church is that, there is healing for the broken, freedom for the captive, forgiveness for the sinful, all the things Jesus is. And many people will believe. And the same is true for uh, our personal behavior. If you want to change your behavior, don't pursue trying to change your behavior. Pursue Jesus. John 14, 15 makes it clear. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love Jesus, pursue him, abide in him, and the fruit of obedience just starts to sprout on your little branch. When I was growing up, I was a good kid. I always wanted my parents happy with me. Uh, I wanted to keep out of trouble. So when I became a Christian, well, that's just, that's just who I was. I immediately transferred my obedience model of life to God. I wanted him happy with me. And of course, I didn't want to be in trouble with him. The problem was that in trying hard to obey, I just became disobedient. Again, it is odd, it's counterintuitive to think biblically. Not focusing on obedience, but Jesus is the only way to become obedient. Jesus says, pursue me, stay with me, abide in me, and you'll live the life of spiritual fruit. There is no other way. Jesus, and only Jesus, is authentic Christianity. So if I'm going to be an authentic Christian, I'm going to be allowing Christ to live his life in and through me. Watchman Nee says it this way, outside of Christ, I am only a sinner, but in Christ, I am saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty. In Christ, I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak. In Christ, I am strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I have been defeated. In Christ, I am already victorious. How meaningful are the words, in Christ. And, and, and don't think, don't think that just because a person is a Christian that they're in Christ. In Christ is a moment-by-moment relational walk with him through his Holy Spirit. And when we begin to think of how the church influences culture, guess what? It's going to take the abiding life of Jesus through his Holy Spirit in us to do it. Here's something I say a lot because it just sums it all up in a simple phrase. It's Christ in you, through you, as you come to him. Psalm 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. Deuteronomy 1.30 says, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. There are so many Christians today who just need to give up trying so hard to be a good Christian. I, I, I told you earlier, you have to, sometimes it's, it's odd to think the way this all works. 
But it's true. There are so many Christians today who just need to give up trying so hard to be a good Christian. Stop it. You can't do it, nor were you ever meant to do it. It's not up to you. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that is going to be good in your life, everything that is going to be godly in your life, has been given to you by God through Christ. The Bible's full of these kind of illustrations. I mean, David and Goliath. God didn't pick scrawny teenage David because of his warrior-like capabilities. No, it's because he was the only one who knew how much he needed God for the fight. God didn't pick Christian-hating Paul as his designated man to start churches and write half the New Testament because of his ability. It was because of his faith, his dependence. He's the one who wrote, when I am weak, then I am strong. And the list goes on. Abraham, Noah, Rahab, Gideon, Moses, so many more. All were part of God's plan, not because of who they were or their abilities or talents or how hard they worked at being good, but because they were simply people who gave up on themselves and trusted in God. So I'm asking you today to say this, what I, what, what I think are the golden words of power of the Christian life, and they are these, I give up. Stop trying to be who you think Jesus wants you to be. Stop trying to improve your obedience so God will be happy with you. Stop trying. It wasn't until, um, well, until I was in my 40s that I truly discovered God's grace for me and what abiding in him was all about. And it changed everything for me. I, I quit self-condemning over every sin or failure. I dropped the guilt I felt over missing my daily quiet time, for example. Here's something that I thought about. I started liking God. <laughs> you ever thought about that? I started liking him. Oh, I loved him, yes. But I started liking him because he was no longer the one evaluating my performance. He was my father. He was my friend. He was my companion. He was my source. I quit self-evaluating and started enjoying the daily rhythms of walking with him. Amen. Sometimes people will ask me for resources to help them in their journey of abiding in Christ. And so I just want to take a few moments here in closing to just, just give you a short list. Here's a few resources that have been meaningful influences in my personal journey. First off, Everyone should read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis at some point in their life. It's just that good. It's, it is uh, Lewis's attempt at explaining the faith, and he doesn't use Scripture. You might find that a little bit odd, but he makes a rational, logical argument that Christianity is the only worldview, it is the only belief system that actually is... Um, compatible with reality. It's a great read if you haven't read it. Another book is by Andrew Murray. It's called Abide in Christ. It's a classic. It's 31 daily chapters to be read in a month, and I find myself taking one month every other year or so and just read through this again. It's that good. Grace Walk by Steve McVeigh. The Rest of the Gospel by Dan Stone. 
These are two of the best resources I've found on the subject of abiding in Christ. Also, anything Michael Wells has written is marvelous. Heavenly Discipleship is probably my favorite of his books. And I quoted Watchman Nee earlier, but uh, I, I just love his books. They're, you have to read them a little bit slower, and it's rich, deep with meaning. I especially like the normal Christian life. It uses Romans as its primary text, but one of the classics on uh, true Christianity and living in the grace of God. These are all worthy of your time. May God bless you this day as you abide in the richness of his presence and his power. Thanks for listening.